May I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever seen anyone walk on water before? I sure haven't. I mean, it's impossible, right? I have a degree in naval architecture from the Naval Academy, and at least at one point in my life, knew all kinds of equations about buoyancy and displacement, and I can guarantee you that it is physically impossible for any human to go for a leisurely stroll on the surface of a body of fresh or salt water. We all know that. I guess that's why the image that we have this morning of Jesus walking on the water is so compelling, so intriguing to our natural senses. This account is so rooted in our collective human psyche that people have even tried to recreate this experience for tourists and for commerce. There was a plan in the year 2000 to build a massive submerged bridge just inches below the water of the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum that would allow up to 50, past 50 tourists at a time, after paying a small fee, of course, to go walking out onto the water, just like Jesus. While no doubt photographers would snap photos for them to buy at greatly inflated prices so that they can go home to their friends and show them just how miraculous their trip to the Holy Land really was. Even King Herod and Jesus Christ Superstar knew that only God was above the constraints of physics. And he challenged Jesus by saying, Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. This morning's account of Jesus walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee to his disciples is truly a pinnacle event in our Christian story. The image of Christ moving across the waves, reaching out his hand to them is found in countless paintings and stained glass windows, and has become ingrained into many of our minds. The main altar window at the United States Naval Academy Chapel shows a radiant Jesus walking on the water with his arm outstretched to the observer. Above the window is that iconic phrase, Eternal Father, strong to save. I bet each one of us feels a different emotion when we hear the story told. Are we afraid, like the disciples were in that storm? Are we drawn to Peter, who is screaming at the top of his lungs, Lord, save me? Or are we perhaps filled with an overwhelming sense of peace, realizing that Jesus seemed to be in control of the situation the entire time? I think it's no coincidence that many of us feel a particular draw to this unique image of Jesus. After all, what he did defies everything we hold to be true about the world we live in. But other than that physical miracle of walking on water, what else does this passage tell us about God and about God's relationship with us? If you remember from our Gospel reading last week, immediately before our reading this morning, Jesus and his disciples have fed a crowd of 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. It was perhaps the greatest single example of God's abundance towards God's people. 
Now you would imagine that after a day filled with all this miraculous excitement, Jesus' disciples were probably pretty pumped up and probably pretty tired as well. So Jesus recognizes this and sends them out in the boat to get away from those crowds so they can rest overnight while he goes up on the mountain to pray. This is the first thing to take note of because, you see, even in the midst of all that action and excitement of the day, perhaps even especially because of all that, Jesus takes time to go away and pray. He goes to reconnect to his Father. Now I wonder how many of us go out of our way to pray and reconnect with God when everything seems to be going right in our own lives. But like many other times in the Gospels, when Jesus goes off to pray, that usually means that something big is about to happen. Here we learn that while he was praying, a storm began to brew over the sea, and Jesus' disciples were being tossed helplessly in their boat, and they weren't able to return to land. This image of storms, water, and rain, while terrifying even to us today, had an even more powerful connotation to those people in Jesus' time. From the beginning, and I mean really from the beginning, water was seen as a hugely powerful force through which God ultimately triumphs. It comes up again and again throughout the Old Testament and is often pitted against God and God's power. Water was seen as that eternal chaos that God moved across at the beginning of creation, taming it and separating it from the sky to form the earth. Water was the medium through which God established his covenant with Noah during the great flood. And it was through the Red Sea that God defeated Pharaoh's mighty army and eventually delivered the people of Israel into the Promised Land after they crossed, you guessed it, the River Jordan. You see, water was not just water, but it was a life-giving and a life-taking force. So when Jesus starts to walk out towards his disciples, helplessly in their tiny little boat, who were fearing for their lives, their first reaction to seeing him may not have been one of, who is this man who can walk on water? But it might have been, who is this man who dares to show dominion over the very thing that only God Almighty can control? This was no mistake on the Gospel writer's part. Jesus is acting in a way reserved for God alone. And therefore, the events that follow will be nothing less than a divine revelation. Furthermore, when the disciples call out to him, saying that he's a ghost, Matthew writes that Jesus answers them in a very particular way. Rather than saying, it's me, or here I am, the Gospel writer does something very important. You see, the audience for Matthew's Gospel was a group of Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. So they were very familiar with the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. So, 
when Jesus answers his disciples by saying, it is I, it's actually written as ego emi, which is the same phrase in Greek that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush in the book of Exodus. So now we have Jesus, both by his actions and by his words, assuming the role reserved for God alone. It's no wonder Peter feels compelled to put his faith in Jesus and himself step out onto those waves. It's also no wonder that when Peter's human nature gets in the way, as it tends to do with Peter, he begins to sink. And it is Jesus, acting in this divine manner, who reaches out, lifts him up out of the water, and places him back in the boat. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. The disciples realize that as long as they are with him, there is nothing in this world that can harm them. Finally, I think it's worth setting the record straight on Peter's faith. He often seems to get a bad rap. When Jesus says to him, you of little faith, people think Jesus is criticizing Peter for his lack of faith in him. I actually disagree with that. After all, it was Peter's little faith that got him out of that boat and allowed him to start walking on that water. If you want to talk about no faith, look at the rest of the disciples who remained in the boat, cowering in fear. Jesus tells us that faith, even the size of a mustard seed, can cause mountains to move. So I think that Jesus shows nothing but love to Peter, even after his little faith falters in the height of the storm. So as you can see, this miraculous event contained within just 11 short verses is about so much more than just a neat little trick Jesus does to impress his followers. Through Jesus' words and through Jesus' actions, he reveals God to be all-powerful as well as all-loving. The verses which immediately follow our reading this morning have Jesus and his disciples landing on the shore where they're met all of a sudden with all who are sick from throughout the region. Theirs was not easy work, and it may not have been accomplished at all if everyone in that boat's faith had not been strengthened by witnessing those events on the water. When we gather together to worship God, even through our computers or our television sets, we, like those first disciples, are bearing witness to the awesome love and power of God. In turn, we are empowered to continue to do God's work here on earth, whether it be in Decatur, Washington, D.C., Portland, Oregon. And this work that we're called to do is so very important. Will we be scared at times, like we are in the middle of a storm? Yeah. Will our faith be tested and at times falter a bit or a lot? Probably. 
But will Jesus always be there? Reaching out his hand to lift us up out of the turbulent water of our lives, calm the storm, and place us safely back in that boat? Undoubtedly. This is the promise we have in Jesus Christ. And this is why we should not be afraid.